Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and in this episode, much like Bob Dylan back in 1964, we're focused on how the times they are a changing. Change is a constant in the FinCrime compliance space, but the last 18 months have seen changes both positive and negative coming at a breakneck pace. On the negative side, cybercrime has soared during the pandemic, and customer due diligence has often been more difficult to perform. But there are positive trends as well, including an increased awareness of environmental crimes and a growing recognition of the interconnections between AML and anti-corruption efforts. To help us make sense of the good and the bad in our changing fin crime world, I'm pleased to welcome Phil Cotter. He's the Group Head of Customer and Third-Party Risk Solutions Data and Analytics for Refinitiv, and he's going to give us a view into all of what he's seeing working with institutions around the world, uh, both on the good, the light side and the, uh, the dark side, so to speak. So, Phil, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the program. Well, that's great, Brian. I'm uh, really happy to be able to uh, take the opportunity to talk to you. Excellent. Well, let's start off with with, uh, just a little bit about where you're coming from, uh, particularly around Refinitiv. Can you tell us more about Refinitiv and its role in the fight against financial crime for all of our listeners out there? Yeah, sure. Happy to do so. So, um, Refinitiv was uh, spun out of uh, Thomson Reuters uh, about two years ago uh, and uh, under the ownership of uh, Blackstone, the private equity group. And Refinitiv is quite a broad provider of data to financial services, uh, particularly in areas like capital markets, uh, uh, wealth and, and investment segments. As part of that, I'd lead the customer and third-party risk uh, business, which provides data and analytics to customers to help them with their financial crime compliance. At the beginning of this year, uh, Refinitiv was actually acquired by the London Stock Exchange Group. So now we're part of an even uh, larger global organization. So that's a little bit about Refinitiv. And as I say, in my role, I lead the the, uh, business uh, uh, division that's uh, responsible for helping our customers meet their financial crime obligations, but also help them fight financial crime, which uh, I think, um, you know, uh, helps to make hopefully a safer society at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, the, we talk a lot about the the criminal trends. We talk a lot about compliance and uh, uh, the responsibilities around that, which is obviously extremely important. But, you know, I, I do feel like sometimes we lose we lose sight of the social act and the social obligation of uh, of fighting financial crime. This is a this is at the end of the day a social issue that affects society very broadly. So viewing it through that lens, I think is uh, is very important. So um, on that note, you know, let's talk about the risk and compliance, the financial crime compliance landscape. This is a subject that uh, everyone's been following very closely. We've talked about quite a bit over the past 12 to 18 months, Um, but uh, you have some interesting findings and research that I think we can delve into. So uh, let's discuss how the global pandemic has changed the risk and compliance landscape. What have you been seeing? Yeah, well, I think our recent survey showed that um, you know, people have been struggling to 
a degree to cope with the sort of acceleration of um, the digital, the digitization, if you like, of uh, financial services. Obviously, many organizations face the challenge of um, working remotely uh, for a period of time. And we've also seen that criminals have been exploiting that situation. I think, you know, we're seeing an increase in uh, fraud, for instance, in uh, digital channels. But we've also seen um, organized crime move to exploit the, the pandemic. And I read just recently that uh, one of Interpol's top focus, uh, focuses at the moment is fighting things like, um, you know, uh, fake vaccines that are coming onto the market, etc. So I think that together with, um, you know, the continuing changing regulatory landscape, obviously, you know, we've seen AML D6 in Europe, we've seen new uh, AML regulations coming into place in uh, in the US. I, I think overall, it's making it been a very, very challenging time for compliance uh, professionals. The challenge has been there um, from the start of the pandemic for the variety of disruptions that you have mentioned, I think, you know, one of the surprising things that we've heard is um, from disruption can also come, you know, opportunity. Um, and there have been some, you know, interesting innovations taking place in the space and uh, some uh, some positive some positive aspects of that disruption. So I'm wondering, you know, despite the, uh, you know, despite the, the, the challenges of the pandemic, what positive trends are you seeing in the risk and compliance space? Well, I think ever, as ever, I think compliance professionals are, you know, extremely adaptable, right, and, and, and can, um, you know, adapt very quickly to manage the risks. So a number of things that we've seen, particularly amongst our customers, is many of them looking to, you know, strengthen their digital identity capabilities by making sure that they've got um, access to data that they can trust uh, when they're trying to verify the identity of um, of their customers in digital channels. We've seen a lot of customers uh, look to use um, technology alongside uh, data, you know, to help them to identify uh, more effectively uh, where risks lie and to help them to uh, manage those risks more effectively. So I think, you know, people have adapted um, remarkably well in the circumstances. Um, you know, as, as they face these kind of new set of emerging risks. And one of the things, themes that came out very strongly within our um, uh, research recently was that many customers were, um, you know, going to continue to invest in that kind of technology and analytics and data to help them uh, in their jobs. Yeah, I think some some uh, very positive tech adoption and tech impact from the pandemic. And it's interesting that that's been both on the institution side um, and to some degree, on the regulatory side as well, there was always this kind of hesitance around, um, do we adopt innovation? Will the regulators accept it? And, you know, I feel like to some degree, the regulators were, were had their hands forced somewhat um, with, uh, with the <laughs> pandemic. Um, and, but, you know, to their credit here in the U.S. in particular, where, where I'm located, they've been very open to it and been very willing to work with industry. So I'm wondering if you're seeing a similar trend on the on your side as well among kind of regulatory acceptance of this tech adoption, tech innovation. Is that is that something that's changed, you know, either driven by the pandemic or just driven by kind of overall trends to increasing use of of uh, innovative tech in the in the compliance space? 
I think the trend has accelerated. I think it was certainly there before the pandemic. And, and I know in conversations that I've had with um, regulators over the last few years in the US, in Europe and in Asia, um, there was a, a you know increased interest in how technology could help in the fight against financial crime. Um, I think it's, you know, we also know, however, there are these um, competing kind of interests, if you like, of um, privacy regulation and, you, you know, the kind of increased transparency um, to be able to fight financial crime effectively. So I think there continues to be that ongoing uh, dialogue and, and hopefully find a way of striking the right balance. But uh, I certainly think um, a lot of regulators that I speak to on the financial crime side are a lot more open-minded. And of course, some of them, like the MA, uh, MAS in Singapore, have positively promoted uh, the adoption of technology in the fight against financial crime. Yeah, I think I think in particular, um, you know, you mentioned in Singapore and there's several other jurisdictions that have really been kind of ahead of the curve on this uh, on this trend. So but I think you're right, the kind of tension or, you know, back and forth between, hey, we want to, like, push forward and innovate um, with some some tech adoption. And, well, we want to make sure that's done in the right way with the right guardrails is is healthy um, and will continue yeah. and, and should yeah. continue. So, um, yeah. So I'd like to touch on another another trend that we've heard, you know, again, not maybe not so much in the U.S., um, uh, but certainly from jurisdictions like Canada um, and uh, Europe, where we have a lot of our our members. There's been an increasing interest in environmental crime or green crime, um, and it ties into an increasing focus on environmental social and governance um, within the, the financial sector as well as you know the, the business world more generally. So uh, I'm wondering how you've seen that trend play out. Have you seen increased interest um, and have you seen a recognition or a linkage between environmental crime and other types of maybe more you know well-established, so to speak, financial crime like uh, money laundering and corruption? Uh, yes, undoubtedly. I mean, First of all, I think one of the the big mega trends, you know, across financial services now is this move towards sustainable finance and sustainable investment. Um, and certainly, I think you you know you're seeing that all of the major uh, economies and governments around the world are are promoting that. I think from our perspective, what we've seen is um, a lot more interest from our customers in uh, helping them to find. Um, information that they can use to identify potential um, environmental crimes like wildlife trafficking, illegal logging, um, etc. Um, we've partnered with United for Wildlife, for instance, uh, to work with them to help their members um, identify wildlife trafficking more effectively. And of course, there is this link because, um, as we both know, you know, um, you know, criminals, they don't specialize in one particular crime, right? It's uh, anything they can uh, they, they can do to um, generate money. Um, and what we've seen is also that, uh, particularly in areas like sub-Saharan Africa, you know, you have got um, organized crime and, and in some cases, um, you know, failed state actors who are um, heavily involved in wildlife trafficking, but also in other predicate crimes that are going to lead to um, 
uh, money laundering. So I think all of these things are connected. Um, you know, wildlife trafficking, you typically um, involves corruption as well as you try to move the, um, you know, the, 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 the wildlife products across borders. And then ultimately you've got to, you know, the, the criminals have got to launder that money and find a way of getting it um, back into the financial system. So I think that's a really big theme that I would expect to become even more significant over, you know, the next five years or so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this this um, uh, ESG factors and this focus on sustainability, as you mentioned, I liked your I liked your phrase there, uh, mega trend. This is this is definitely a a, a very <laughs> large uh, uh, trend in the in the field, and will continue to be a big area of focus. So uh, a lot more to come there, and I think you know integrating uh, environmental crime, wildlife tracking. trafficking checks into due diligence and getting more visibility into, you know, supply chains of customers, that thing is going to be, uh, is going to, it's, it's going to be very challenging. I mean, I think when we talk about, um, transparency and visibility into data, um, and those types of things, that's, that's a, that's a huge challenge to, to gain that level of visibility into supply chains. And it's already, occurring with, you know, a bit of the focus on human trafficking and, and labor trafficking. And um, so some firms trying to get a handle on, okay, well, what's our exposure? And and a lot of times the answer is it's very hard to tell. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I guess I, on that theme, I'm wondering if if you are seeing a really need for a focus on transparency and, and increased data into, you know, both direct customers and customers of customers as these sort of, newer risk areas emerge like environmental crime or supply chain uh, risk or, you know, labor trafficking risk. How have you seen, you know, the use of of data um, uh, to take on some of those new threats? Yes, undoubtedly we're, we're, we're seeing that, uh, Brian. So, you know, increasingly I'm seeing customers not only wanting data that's related to financial crime, but also increasingly to things like, you know, reputational risk, which, you know, many of the ESG risks are related to that. Um, So, you know, um, increased due diligence on their uh, suppliers to understand better their labor practices, you know, whether they're involved in, you know, um, slavery or bonded labor, et cetera, all of those things are important. you know, we've partnered with a with a number of companies to bring sort of ESG related type information to bear uh, into this kind of due diligence process. Um, we've even, you know, we're even seeing companies looking at other risks like, you know, cybersecurity. You know, so working with some of the cyber rating companies again as partners to give people an understanding of the, you know, the cyber posture of the um, suppliers they've got in their supply chain. So, again, I expect this to be a trend that continues uh, over time because uh, I think particularly in supply chains, there's a much broader set of risks that um, certainly I see our customers wanting to get a better handle on um, than just those that would normally be associated with, um, you know, what we would think of as the traditional financial crime risks. Yep, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about something that, Maybe isn't so much on the on the tech side, um, a little bit more old school, so to speak, but also critically important in you know taking on some of these these threats and risks, um, and that's the area of collaboration. 
Um, and in terms of, you know, big themes and, and mega trends, I think maybe this is another one that has, has emerged um, over the past few years, really. And that is both public-private partnership, but also industry partnership um, and industry collaboration and, you know, partnership with the, the non-governmental sector um, across the board, really. So um, what is the role of this type of collaboration and where have you seen it be effective in the fight against financial crime and, and how is Refinitiv getting involved with these types of collaborative efforts? Yeah, um, great question. Um, so again, I mean, we, we're engaged in a number of ways. So first of all, Refinitiv was uh, one of the founder members along with the WEF and uh, Interpol in setting up the Global Coalition uh, to Fight Financial Crime. And that was designed to be able to bring together um, kind of public and private sector players uh, in a forum where we could discuss um, you know, things like policy changes which would help uh, collaboration um, to become more effective. I think we're seeing across the world a number of um, you know, private-public partnerships being set up so that uh, information can be shared between the private sector and the public sector uh, in the fight against financial crime. But equally, you know, in, a, in our own business, as I said earlier, you, we're, we're partnering with NGOs like the Century, for instance, where we can work together to, um, you know, share data that we can then make available to our customers. So I think, you know, this is a very important theme. I think, um, you know, the greater the collaboration and the more that information can be shared amongst uh, the parties who are responsible for uh, collaborating in that fight against financial crime, the more effective we, we will be in the future. Um, and I think there are a lot of positive trends to suggest that um, we're moving in the right direction at the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. I think um, we have uh, we have some, it, you know, it's an exciting time to be in the financial crime detection and prevention space. Right. Um, I think that there is uh, yeah. there's uh, there's, you know, uh, the public private partnership um, has been tremendous. Um, the shift in perception between sort of antagonistic, if you could call it, and maybe I'm being a little bit too rosy here. Um, since I'm not a compliance officer, I'm not necessarily sitting in the, uh, the that, that seat in the hot seat all the time. But, you know, from the outside, at least, it seems like there's been a shift in, in uh, the sometimes agonistic, antagonistic relationship between, you know, regulator and regulated um, and, you know, industry and public sector to a much more collaborative approach. Um, which is how it should be. At the end of the day, the goal is not to, you know, is not solely to comply with a regulation um, or, you know, check the box, make sure you're, you're following the letter of the law, but it's to detect and prevent financial crime and and help solve and resolve these social ills. So um, that shift in perception, that shift in approach has absolutely uh, been a positive and it you know, hopefully continues. So, uh, so yeah, some great, some great points there. You know, I'm wondering, uh, uh, to take a, maybe a step back from, um, you know, the positive side of things, uh, questions, uh, a couple of questions I like to ask a lot of guests on the show, you know, is, uh, is uh, one of them is, is looking ahead, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end of the year. It's, it's the tail end of, uh, of 2021 looking ahead to 2022, what's keeping you up at night? Um, or your alternately your <laughs> refinitives clients and customers, right? Uh, looking ahead, what what are some of the big, you know, gaps, risk areas, threats that you see as as increasingly important um, to be paying attention to? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, the first thing is we're definitely seeing a um, restructuring of global supply chains. And I think um, as a result of the pandemic, I think, you know, a lot of countries uh, suddenly realized that they were quite significantly exposed to what were, you know, what are extended global supply chains. We're definitely seeing a lot of our customers beginning to think about how they um, build more resilience into those supply chains. And I think, you know, that process has really only just started as we emerge from the pandemic. So that's certainly one area. I think um, the other area is given this acceleration into in digitization um, in financial services and in, and in other sort of high value sectors, um, you know, they're going to be a continual continual focus on, you know, fighting fraud and, um, you know, how do you um, reduce the, um, you know, things like the incidence of identity theft, et cetera. So that also, I think, is going to be a big focus. And then I think, you know, the other things, if I, if I think about compliance professionals, um, look, there are real challenges in terms of geopolitical tensions at the moment, and, and the sanctions environment is moving very, very quickly. And I think that's quite challenging for people to keep on top of. Um, and then there's increased regulation coming, you know, so proposed new uh, due diligence regulation should come into force in the EU next year, which will up the, the level of uh, due diligence required by corporates. So there are a lot of things coming, right, uh, as ever. Um, and I think 2022 is going to be just as busy as 21 was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, so for our you know compliance folks out there, you have a lot of job security right now. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> as crazy as it may be. Um, but Phil, thank you so much for uh, for chatting with us on on these themes. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the the Financial Crime Cast, um, and I, I really appreciate the insights into the uh, the what you're seeing in this space. I think you know some of the some of the the themes that you you pulled on are going to be ones that we continue to see elaborate um, and uh, and grow in importance for years to come, not just into 2022, but even beyond. So, you know, the focus on uh, environmental crime, the linkage back to sustainability and and environmental, social and governance factors, uh, the need for increasing transparency, particularly into customers of customers and supply Mm -hmm. chains, uh, and, you know, this collaborative aspect to the fight against financial crime um, are some of the things that will be that will be of recurring importance for um, the foreseeable future. So, uh, for all the uh, for all the uh, folks out there listening, I would say just prepare now. Um, start to see where your programs are at and what you can do to uh, to get ahead of this as uh, uh, these emerge on the horizon. So, um, Phil, thank you again for being here. It's been uh, it's been a great conversation, and uh, thank you for Refinitive for bringing you here. And hopefully, we'll have you on the the program again soon. Thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure joining you, and uh, I hope that we do get the chance to talk again. Thank you very much. Great. And for all our listeners out there, please tune in to all the episodes of the Financial Crimecast. You will find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many of your other podcasting platforms. Have a great rest of the day, and see you on the next episode of the Crimecast. Goodbye, everyone. 